Hi, this is Joe Satriani, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello, everyone. This is your bass player, Billy Sheehan, from the Wanderer Dogs. So you're listening to my good friend, Sean, here on Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Richie Kotzen, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 251 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 251, we were joined uh, once again by guitarist Richie Kotzen. Uh, Richie was on probably close to two years ago. I uh, was doing some solo touring and uh, subsequently went on to start a super group with Billy Sheehan and Mike Portnoy, the Winery Dogs, uh, and they had uh, very good success with that album. I was back doing a solo tour again. I have got a new uh, double, sort of a greatest hits called The Essential Richie Kotzen out now on Loud and Proud Records. So he's touring, doing some stuff off of that record. So we had an opportunity to catch up with him and uh, talk about not only uh, the winery dogs, but you know the experience of going back and trying to put a retrospective album together of his career. So I really enjoyed talking to him. So before we get into the interview, let's play a track from the new Essential Richie Kotzen album. Let's play the track, What Is. I don't love, I don't care, I don't care, cause I've already been there. I don't want, I don't need, I don't take cause I had it all I don't guess, I just know what this is, is a place to die from I am not what you see, you are real but not for real I'm not scared, I'm not high, I'm a man and I'm alright We are here and we are gone And the rest are left to wonder
I just know what this is is a place to die from. Pleasure. I welcome to the show, Richie Codson. How are you doing, Richie? I'm very good. How are you? Doing very, very well. Um, first off, I want to congratulate you on uh, the uh, success of the winery dogs. Uh, I think a lot of people were uh, pleasantly blown away when they got a chance to catch you guys when you came into town. Um, how big of a thrill was that in particular to, to kind of go out on the road with those guys and play the material live? Well, it was a, a surprise, actually, to us how well-received the record was. I know, um, in my mind, I thought that, you know, I, I was confident we would do something interesting, something cool, but I kind of figured it would have been a situation where we do a record and maybe do a, a couple of key market shows, you know, maybe a month or two, uh, go overseas and, and come back and do some things here in the States. Uh, and then I figured it pretty much would, that would be it. And uh, actually, it turned into a whole year plus worth of touring around the world and people were really thrilled with what we did so uh it was definitely a pleasant surprise i, I didn't expect the 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 response you know sure now do you guys have obviously the three of you have uh, schedules that are they're insane um do you have any kind of goal in mind to be able to reconvene with that or do you guys kind of use skype to, to stay in touch well um you know we, uh, Billy actually lives here in L.A., so um, uh, that makes it pretty easy. Mike, Mike lives in Pennsylvania, and when we when we worked together last time, since Billy and I are here in L.A., uh, Mike just came out, mm-hmm. and we recorded everything at my house. Um, but as for future plans, uh, we definitely want to make another record at some point. Um, for me, it doesn't really have much to do with schedule, it has more to do with material. So um, on the last record, there was a lot of material that ended up on that record that were things that I had already written, uh, finished written, or started writing. And then there were about six or seven songs that we uh, did the music to, and then I later finished. So that process requires a certain kind of uh, creative headspace, creative energy, and... Um, what I don't want to do is, is get into a situation where we rush anything. Um, I'd love to have a record out next year, and I, I think we probably will. Uh, but for me, I, I don't operate well under deadlines or plans, and so I'm kind of waiting for my uh, album cycle to kind of slow down, and then I'd like to personally take a take a break, you know, get away right. from 
for a while and then uh, circle back once I have some new ideas and once everything feels like it's going to be fresh. Yeah, you brought up a very interesting point when you think about it. You know, there there are no lack of, of bands that you'll see that are kind of a, you know, super group type of things that, you know, these people will convene in a city and do a record. But I imagine writing with that kind of time constraint has got to be tough for, for a, an art that really requires inspiration. Um, to be able yeah, to it, you know, it's something that I, I, I gave it up a, a long time ago. I mean, in, in years ago, uh, in, the, in the 90s, you know, um, I was always signed to a label, and there were deadlines, and a lot, I, made, I made a lot of choices back then creatively that really sometimes I go back and wish I hadn't have done, but I know why I did because of things like deadlines and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And somewhere... Uh, around 2005, 2006, I really kind of abandoned that approach, and I just kind of decided to myself, until I really feel like I've got 10 songs that uh, that I really love under any circumstance, until I get to that point, there's really no reason uh, to, on a creative level to force a record. I, I think, uh, you know, it is a creative process, and, and something that, for me, is a sacred thing. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, I have this kind of theory when people talk about writer's block, you know, you hear that. And I really just don't believe in writer's block because I think when you're inspired, you create, you write, and it's a flow, and it, it feels good when it's happening. And when you don't have anything to really say or any perspective, then there's nothing to be written. In those moments uh, is when you have to get out and live and do some other things to get a new perspective. And then once you come back, to, to music, you know, it, it's a little easier to to have that output. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I can imagine, you know, it's got to be tricky when everyone's in a, in a practice room saying, okay, we've got to get this something done because we've got to get to the airport at 3 o'clock. You know, that kind of <laughs> yeah, right. you know that, that's got to be tough. Is that easier or, or is it more pressure on you as, as you know, predominantly a solo artist? Uh, and, you know, you have the, the blessing of being your, your vocalist and your lead guitar player. Does that make... Obviously, there's more pressure on you to write the material, but does it make it easier that you you can really write at any time of the day whenever the inspiration hits you? Yeah, and that's kind of how it works for me. I mean, I literally have ran out of restaurants because I had an idea for a melody, or somebody said something that I thought could fit into a lyric, and pull, I pulled out my phone and, and recorded the idea standing on the street. And you know, other times I'd be alone at the house and just randomly sit down at the piano and start playing a progression. So. That you know, the, the songs come from from any place. I mean, I've actually woken myself up from a sleep because I had a song in my head and and documented it. And, and that's a lesson I learned because that's happened in the past where I, I didn't force myself to get up and I said, "Oh, I'll remember it the next day." And of course, you know, it's gone. Yeah. So I think the thing to understand for younger people that are you know uh, that write or are trying to write or trying to understand how to connect. You know, it's it, it, it is like a muscle, and the more you, you you push through in the beginning, you know, the more you learn trial and error. But at some point, it, it comes to a point where you really it just kind of hits you and becomes obvious when you're writing what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Now, are, are you able to? Um, you you mentioned kind of jotting the, uh, melodies and things like that down on the phone. Are are you? I, I know you took piano, so obviously you're. Uh, a knowledge of music isn't just limited to the guitar. Are you the kind of person that can kind of like, with pitch in your head, be able to just jot down chord progressions without actually having an instrument? Well, um, 
You know, not really. I I have uh, I don't. If you're asking like what they call perfect pitch, exactly. I yeah. That. Um, I have uh, I probably have perfect relative pitch. You know, if someone gives me an A, or if I hear a note based on something, then I know what all the other notes are. So, um, but you know, I uh, I used to read music when I was very young. Actually, uh, when I was 19, I wrote a column for Guitar World magazine, and I had to sit down and transcribe my own. Uh, lessons and then you know mm-hmm. put them to the magazine so they had to be correct but i it's been so long since i've, I've done that that I, I would be a disaster if someone put a, a sheet of music in front of me at this point yeah that's a, probably also a muscle that needs exercise yeah um let me ask you this because and obviously for those of us who had the pleasure uh, of kind of following your career from the beginning everyone knew you as you know, one of the great guitar players of, of the Mike Varney era, obviously. But but I think the one thing that I think opened a lot of people's eyes when the Winery Dogs record came out, uh, you know, just because of the popularity of the record was your voice. Um, where where did that come from? Is that something that you've had all the time? Obviously, you sang, you know, harmonies and things like that when you were in Poison, Mr. Big, etc. But uh, was singing something you always aspired to do? Not in the very beginning. I... Um, when I was, you know, I started really young. So, actually, in the very, very beginning, yeah, singing was the first thing that I did when I was a little kid. And then someone said, "Oh, he should learn an instrument," and they, you know, started dragging me to piano lessons. Uh, but once I was, like, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old, I was really kind of obsessed with the guitar, and I would sing in my cover band. I had a couple songs I sang lead on, uh, a lot of harmony stuff. But I wasn't terribly interested in it until I got my record deal with Shrapnel. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized very quickly that I did not have any passion for instrumental music after yeah. I went through that cycle. And so for the next record, I really wanted uh, a singer. And I was sending in uh, recordings of guys, local guys, and the label didn't really like any of them very much. And so they suggested that I sing. And so I gave it a shot, and I started uh, covering some songs from singers that I like. One of the first uh, singers that I really got into was Paul Rogers. So I did a version of Fire and Water, and I sent that off to Mike Varney, who was the president of Shrapnel Records. And he loved it, and he encouraged me uh, to keep going in that direction. And then I listened to, like, old Rod Stewart, and then I started taking singing actually more seriously than, not seriously, but I put more attention to the singing aspect of things than I did to the guitar playing. Because at that point I had already gotten some recognition as a guitarist and I was starting to move in a different direction stylistically. And so I focused more on my voice. And I think around the time when I was maybe, that, well, that, that record that I sang on, the first one I sang on, I think I recorded in 1990. But by 91, um, I really felt like I kind of found my voice as a singer, and we had a, uh, I put something out on a soundtrack for Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and it was a song that was on that second Shrapnel record, but I had grown so much in that year as a singer that I went back and I re-sang the entire song and replaced the bass guitar and remixed it. And so I would say by the time I hit 21, I kind of really knew uh where I was headed as far as, you know, uh, artistic direction and as a singer, even my guitar playing was changing radically over that time. 
Yeah, I, I just noticed, you know, and when you listen to like the live album you did a couple of years ago, I think was one of the first times I really sat and, you know, studied one of the albums and I was like, you know, he sounds so much like Glenn Hughes. And, and I mean, with the highest compliments, that's that's not an easy sound to get, you know, but... You yeah, know. Glenn is, a, is an awesome singer and, and we've had the opportunity to write together as well. Uh, in the 90s, we had a couple things that, together and I love his voice. He's, he's amazing and he sounds better than ever. Yeah, now, um, how would you say your guitar playing has, has evolved? I mean, obviously, coming out of the Mike Marty, we, we knew you was, you know, the guy who could sweep pick and, and you know, uh, looked like you were relative easy on the, you know, on the Poison Live video and thing like that. Um, but how have you grown as a player over the years, would you say? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's just like, I look at all this like little snap, snapshots, like almost like a diary because... I've been making records so long. You know, the first mm -hmm. record I made had songs on it that I wrote when I was 17. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, you know, 44 and there's, a, I don't know how many records I've done. But it's like, you know, it's like normal human growth to me. You know, it's like you're supposed to evolve. You're supposed to learn and, and, and grow. And so I feel like I've done that musically. And I think I continue to, to do that. You know, I, I'm definitely a better guitar player now than I've ever been, and I feel like I'm singing better than I ever have, and I, just, I, I don't really know why, it's not that I really sit around and practice, but I think what happens, I think it gets to a point where you build up a certain kind of foundation, and then it becomes easier to absorb other musical components, yeah. uh, just because of your past experiences, and so it's kind of like a snowball that starts to happen, where you just kind of accumulate knowledge, um, and even from people that you wouldn't think you would learn from, you know, there's always something to pick up. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard for me to analyze myself and to say specifically how I grew, but I definitely, I think a lot of it has more to do with um, the human uh, life development and life experience than it really does sitting down and playing the instrument, at least for me. Anyway. Sure. Um, were you involved with the selection of the tracks for the Essential Richie Godson collection? Yeah, yourself. I collected all of them. I, yeah, I was completely involved in that. How how was that process to kind of go back and were, were there things that you went back and listened to that you kind of brushed aside and hadn't listened to in a long time that maybe you kind of rediscovered in your own collection? Well, no, I, not really because I think there's things that I've done that are at the forefront of my mind that that are that I really like. Mm -hmm. And what I did when I selected this, I mean, the idea of this record was not so much for it to be like a true retrospective of everything I've done. It was more about the idea of uh, there's a, a people out there in the rock community that might know my name that don't really know what it is that I do because they haven't followed me since, you know, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for example, I come off the stage with the winery dogs, and there's actually people in the audience that were like, wow, I didn't know you could sing. Yeah. And like, really? Like, there's 20 records out there with me singing on them, but I guess that's fine. So, you know, the question is, well, I, I want to get into your music. What record should I should I buy? And so it's hard for me to say, oh, buy Into the Black or buy Peace Sign or whatever. So we decided to make a record that would be like a starting point. So I just literally picked what I thought were songs that were still relevant what I do today. You know, and I went back as far as there's, a, there's even a Poison song in there, a song called Fire and Ice, mm -hmm. and I still felt like that had relevance. You know, there's other songs 
that are from that era that, that aren't really relevant to who I became over the years. So I'm not going to include those, but I just picked things that I thought, you know, it's like pick, it's like selecting a photograph, you know, to put on like uh, your headshot. You know, you want yeah. to put your best foot forward and, and try to represent who you are. And so that's what I tried to do when I selected the material. Yeah, I had wondered about that because it's, it's got to be kind of, you know, interesting, you know, because I'm sure you had tracks along the year in, in all these albums where, you know, there maybe was a particular song that you loved, you know, but then when the rest of the world heard it, you know, they maybe gravitated to a different track on the album or the record oh, yeah. company. And I'm sure that happens all the time. So I didn't know if this was an opportunity to kind of pull out some of your favorites um, your, or what the mindset is to select, you know, a retrospect like this. Yeah. Yeah. It was more like, you know, me trying to just represent myself, how, like how I see, how I see myself. You know okay. What I mean? uh, the, the one thing uh, out of curiosity, I've always wondered, uh, you know, I think, Anybody who thinks of your name thinks of the Fender Telecaster. Um, can I ask what kind of gravitated you to that particular guitar, even in the early days? You know, when, when maybe a Telecaster it, it wasn't. Very, yeah, it happened very early. I, I did, um, you know, by the time I made my third record, which was in 91, I get confused with these years, but it was er, it was a long time ago. And I remember I had an endorsement with Ibanez and, I was not getting the sound I wanted. And I literally went to the music store that day and bought a Telecaster and I bought a Strat. And coincidentally, uh, Ibanez was launching a new brand called Starfield. And it was meant to be more of a vintage kind of brand. And they had a Telecaster-inspired guitar. Sure. And I started playing those. And I had they made me a bunch of them. They were really nice guitars. And... I was in the studio recording the Poison record, and I had like four or five of these guitars there. And a Fender rep showed up to drop off a bass for the bass player, because the bass player was signed to Fender. Mm-hmm. And he saw those guitars, and he says, oh, he said, no, 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 he said, this isn't going to work. i got to get you the real deal. So a week later, he showed up with this unbelievable master-built uh, tobacco sunburst Telecaster and a red flame-top Strat. And the Telecaster... Just instantly became my main guitar. That was yeah. It. I, was so I, don't, I What? I don't recall seeing you without a Telecaster. I think in probably the last twenty years is why I asked the question. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's interesting. Yeah, so I, I, I got that guitar and I got the, the red strap, and, I, and then I, I kind of went back and forth over the years between the Tele and the strap. But for the last ten years, I've been pretty much with the Telecaster and Fender is. Uh, has made that guitar available. Uh, it's a signature model guitar now, and uh, you can, you know, get that wherever, Sam Ash or Sweetwater or wherever, you, wherever you shop. Certainly. And it's cool because it's actually the, the guitar that I play, you know. Awesome. Now, you're you're uh, going to be hitting the road. You're going to be coming through Pittsburgh on uh, November 11th. Um, what can we expect as far as set list? Uh, you're going to be kind of doing a lot of the stuff from this particular collection? Yeah, we put together a really cool set, and uh, I've got a, an amazing band, and I've given the, those guys a spot where they do something alone, uh, which has evolved into this really cool jam thing. And uh, there's a kind of a funny thing that we do in the jam that I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to blow the surprise. Sure. But you'll find it on YouTube if you look <laughs> anyway. Uh, and then we've got a couple of new songs that uh, I've never toured on before that are in the set. And... Um, you know, we we have a lot of fun. You know, these guys have been playing with Dylan Wilson and Mike Bennett now for a few years, and 
they they're really deep musicians. I mean, they're, they're great rock players, but they come from a really deep jazz background. And I mean, they sit on the bus and they're talking about all these people that are famous jazz guys and this song and that standard, and I have no idea what the hell they're <laughs> talking about. But what really kind of translates for me is when we get into the improvisation and we start soloing, their ability to to listen and somehow elevate me uh, to a level of playing. Um, it, it's it's really inspiring. So uh, aside from playing the songs and, and having some new songs, I think the the solo sections where we actually improv, I think the people are going to connect with that because it's something that we really have a lot of fun with. Yeah, and I think that that always translates. You know, when you see a band doing something, um, they're enjoying. You know, that conveys to the crowd. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, if people get up there and just kind of hash through the greatest hits every night. You can feel that as yeah, it's true, and it depends on the kind of band. I mean, not, mm-hmm. not every band is built to to do that. You know, absolutely. Some, most bands are not. I mean, most most rock bands write songs and get up on stage and perform the songs. I mean, there's not a lot of uh, room, you know, in, in that kind of music that they write to even do that. And a lot of the guys don't really play that way anyway. So it's, that's. Which is great. I mean, if you you just go to a concert, you hear the songs you love, and that's it. It's just, it works. But you know, I, for me, I like to have some moments where the unexpected happens, and and you know, we kind of have the architecture for that, just because of the way the music's written. Awesome. Well, Richard, we look forward to seeing you're going to be coming in on the 11th of November, and it's going to be a pleasure to see you when you get into town. Thank you so much for the time. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. All right, a giant thanks to Richie Cotson for coming on the show. Again, he's got a new album, double CD out, available iTunes, Amazon, everywhere. Uh, you can get records now. Uh, it's called The Essential Richie Cotson. Also, there, I believe there is a newer packaging of the Winery Dogs album out available now as well. So check those out. For those of you in western Pennsylvania, Richie will be coming to Alter Bar in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, doing a show November 11th with Xander Demos Band, and there you are. We'll be opening the show. The show starts at 7 o'clock. Tickets are available at druskyentertainment.com or showclicks.com. You can get those tickets now. Uh, Pretty inexpensive night out to catch a really, really underrated uh, guitarist in Richie Cotson. So I want to thank you for listening. You can find out more about us at ironcityrocks.com. I've got uh, a lot of great pictorials of some concerts that have come through town that we were uh, very pleased to be involved with. We've got some great events coming up in the next... Uh, several weeks. November not slowing down at all uh, in this moment. Going to be coming into Pittsburgh. Ace Fraley, Black Veil Brides, uh, Jakey Lee will be coming in in the month of December. So there's a lot of great stuff out there to do. Uh, usually a very slow time of the year in the Northeast, uh, but really a pretty pretty exciting time this year in particular. So check that out. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, if you want to say something to us, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We always love to hear from listeners. Until next time, thank you very much.